Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Newtown Theatre. Please welcome a man who thinks there might have been another ghost in his dressing room just now. He's not sure. It's Richard Herring. <laughs> oh my, oh my, thank you very much. Oh, Colin's here. Colin's here. Colin's in. We can all relax. Oh, thank you so much for coming along. Uh, I don't know what day it is, but I'm guessing it's the weekend. There's lots of you. Oh, shit. Uh, it's all going wrong. Uh, and uh, welcome to Richard Herring's Let's Strangle Teenagers podcast. Um, new direction. Uh, just if there are any people in the audience under 20, but over 12, uh, with the rest of us are going to murder on the Orange Express style or kill you. Uh, and we'll get away with it because we'll just say someone came in and, and strangled the. T Any teenagers in? Oh, weird. Uh, <laughs> I thought we were pretty safe. Uh, though I was crossing the meadows just now, and there were some guys playing five side football against each other. And the team who were wearing the yellow bibs, they call it Rahalastapa. So, so it's, I thought, I'd never thought about football very much, and I've never played five side football. But if you were the team in five side football who were wearing the yellow bibs, you are going to lose. That is, that is, you've made the decision that you are prepared to wear the yellow bibs. You've already given up, I think, haven't you? The, the other team of the alpha males, they are better at football than you. It's, I watched it for five minutes and it was proved correct. The yellow bib guys were rubbish. Sorry if you're listening at home, guys. It's just the truth. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was up in the dressing room and we got up there and one of the guests was here and then one of the guests arrived later and there was a little tiny man in a tartan suit sitting in the dressing room. He didn't say, I said hello to him, he didn't say anything to me. <laughs> he just sat there. I was just back to the toilet and then he went to the toilet. I was quite annoyed, it's my toilet. Uh, and then when I came out, he'd gone. So I'm not, I don't, I think I might be going crazy already. Is it, is it generally, is this really only show eight? Please let me go home. <laughs> there are two weeks to go still. Why, why am I doing this? This is the last time I'm ever doing the Edinburgh Fringe. I say that every year. This is year 25. Uh, and uh, uh, what about this Edinburgh weather? Hey, ladies and gentlemen, it's got bad, hasn't it? It's got badly I'm eight days in. But like yesterday, I was soaked coming in and then I left and it was fucking like the Caribbean outside. <laughs> and I'm pretty certain that uh, we're in a kind of Truman Show bubble here and someone's just fucking around with the weather for a lot. That is, I've been to Edinburgh a lot. It's, I've never experienced it being, I'm pretty sure I'm gonna go out after this show when it finishes at 2.30 and it's gonna be nighttime and that's gonna prove it. <laughs> prove to me what is going on uh, here. So hopefully uh, my guest is, well, no, I've, 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 let me do this. Uh, uh, I should remind people here and at home, uh, we are here for another 13 performances after this one. Please do come along. And I'm also on tour throughout the autumn. If you go to richherring.com and click on me going like, can't see it at home, uh, then uh, you'll be able to see all the tour dates. In September, I'm in Brighton, Leicester, Bristol and Richmond. Bristol selling out, but the rest of them could do with some help. Uh, and, uh, I should truly try and book some people, but I haven't quite booked everyone for this yet. Uh, and uh, we, d we were trying to ask whether men are funny in this Edinburgh. It seems to be a female-dominated Edinburgh, which I'm very happy about. Uh, it's, uh, that's more chicks for me, right? <laughs> And uh, we've got five or six lots still to fill. Uh, this is what a feminist looks like, darling, all right? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so far on this show, we've booked 22 women to 16 men. So I'm going to have to book like a, a sketch group of those, those guys pulling the funny faces. I'm going to have to get a few of those guys in to get the male average up. Uh, and coming up in Edinburgh, we do have uh, Arabella Weir, George Egg, who's fantastic, uh, Rich... Uh, 
and Richard Osman. Uh, Tony Slattery is on tomorrow. Uh, Fern Brady, Lauren Patterson, loads of fantastic guests to come. So please do come and see it. You can see another one if you're seeing today. You're allowed. You're allowed. Liam's seen. Have you seen, you've seen everything? Connect. You're going to win a prize if, you, if whoever sees the most shows. I think it's going to be. Has anyone else seen every single one of these so far in Edinburgh? No. You're going to win, Liam. You're going to win a prize. <laughs> Unless they've just not turned up this one day. Anyway, let's crack straight on. Um, so, uh, my first guest today is probably best known for winning, being the winner of Deadly, the Deadly Funny Grand Final 2014. Uh, she, the, her act killed over 500 people. <laughs> but it's all right, they were Australian, so it didn't matter. <laughs> Will you please welcome the incredible Steph Tisdall, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much. Hello. Come in. Pull up a microphone. Thank you. Thank oh. you. Ooh. How are you doing, Steph? Well, I think this is the first time an Aboriginal woman's ever sat in a throne, so... <laughs> Good. I think, yeah. I mean, we did... Uh, Ashley was saying she was probably the first woman, uh, Catholic woman, to be on this stage <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd be very surprised if the Masons of Edinburgh have, have ever invited... Had an Aboriginal Australian yeah. woman. Yeah. And, and let them sit down anyway. So uh, it's... Uh, we'll, we'll and they're getting a terrible time for me, the Masons, on this show. I won't be invited back. I'm sure they're above board and they've never killed any women. I'm sure that is... I'd just <laughs> like to state that as a fact. Um, well, it's lovely to have you part of the Aboriginal All-Stars That's show, right. That's right. We've almost sold out tonight, but you can still get tickets. Wow. So, so is there so three acts in the show? Yes. Yeah. So we've got uh, Andrew Saunders, yeah. Kevin Crepinuri, and me, Steph Tisdell. Okay. And uh, it's like comedy you've never seen before because it's Aboriginal people. You've probably never seen an Aboriginal person before. Am I your first? Yeah. There we go. Thank you. Have you ever been outside of Edinburgh? <laughs> yeah, you have. Okay, well, that's impressive. Well, I used to live here, so we didn't meet them. <laughs> You're not my first Aboriginal performer I've ever had on this podcast. I've had uh, Craig Quartermain. Well, there you, you go. You know Craig? Yes. Yeah. Just, yeah. I do, yeah. yeah. Just because he's a comedian. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying all the Aborigines hang around together. <laughs> is Aborigines the right word to use? That I mean, you're using it yourself as an indigenous people because it's. Do you know what I? Yeah. I find it hard. I don't think we should be getting caught up in, in terms considering yeah. everything else that's gone to shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think we should maybe ask for some policy to be changed before we start going. Wait, do we want to be First Nations or <laughs> Aboriginal? That's yeah. what. I, that's just what I reckon, anyway. Yeah. Well, you because you, you, you've quite recently come to comedy. You were starting out as an advocate for Aboriginal rights. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, so, like, well, I actually studied law and journalism because yeah. I wanted to change things, and then somebody dared me to do comedy. Yeah. And I was just drunk in a bar in Dublin, <laughs> and it wasn't even a comedy place. It wasn't even a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> I stood on a chair yeah. and just went, oh, "I'm gonna do some comedy," and then. <laughs> I just, I was like, if I'm any good, buy me a drink. If I'm shit, I'll definitely know. And then <laughs> I had drinks on the bar from everyone. Wow. And then I went home and did like maybe one or two. So you ad libbed to set that, you completely Mrs. Maisled it. That's what happens in the amazing, marvelous Mrs. Maisel. She, goes, <laughs> she basically goes on stage drunk and ad libs an incredible set. And that's you, pretty most much comedians what go, that can never happen in real life though, but that's pretty much what you, you just went on, <laughs> emptied your heart. Pretty much. <laughs> well, it was just so many things that I found funny. Like, I pretty much just told stories about my dad. Right. Because <laughs> he's a, an idiot. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 
Do you want to? Do you want to? Yeah, and tell him. Tell us what's the most idiotic thing you're doing. Well, no, he's not. An, he's a he's a neighbourhood vigilante. That's what we call him. <laughs> like he's so he's such a beautiful man. He's so principled that like you mess with his neighbourhood and he's gonna fuck you up. That's like his whole mo. Right, so these kids, <laughs> this is really ridiculous. There were these kids who kept on stealing letterboxes from our street. Like, who does that? And my dad was like, I'm going to find these kids and I'm going to teach them a lesson. <laughs> we're like, what? can you really put revenge on teenagers, dad? Like, you're, <laughs> you're a fully grown man. And he went out and he, like, waited for them on the street <laughs> and then punched one. And he got, he got this beard, his bonnet, when, when like, everyone was first starting to talk about global warming. Right? He got this real bee in his bonnet. And he, I don't know why he did this. I was still at school, right? And he built these two massive sandwich boards that on one side said global warming and on the other side said act now, just so that I could be a target for everyone at school, you know? <laughs> and then one night he heard some kids destroying his signs and he was like, not today. Not when global warming is looming. <laughs> and so he, uh, I think he's the softest man. I don't know where this came from in his yeah. head. He's a really light sleeper, so he hears them. And we had this 50 metre long driveway, yeah. right? And there was a um, street light right on the bottom of it. And so instead of going out and punching some more kids, as he's wont to do, <laughs> he just thought he'd threaten them. So he stood at the top of the driveway with the street light backlighting him with a fucking machete. <laughs> And just went, oi! And they got so scared, they were like, he's got a machete! And yeah. then they just ran. Yeah. Presumably he's in prison now for, uh, <laughs> <laughs> for attacking children. Is that allowed in Australia now? Maybe it is. It's a, it's a, it's a crazy that, country, Australia. That's why it's funny, because if you met him, you'd be like, oh, this is the sweetest man in the world. I'm like, ask him how many kids he's punched. <laughs> They do deserve punching. I'm, I'm, I'm on his <laughs> side. You're not allowed to. It's annoying, isn't it, right? Especially other people. You're allowed to punch your own a bit, right? <laughs> My two-year-old. Um, what would you say... Uh, one of the biggest myths about Aboriginal culture, would you say, that, uh, that, you, that you get? Oh. I mean, I'm assuming you are telepathic and can communicate over large distances. No, that one is true. Yeah, so, um, I would say probably the biggest one is people will go, you're not Aboriginal. Right? And it's because, you know, like you look at the colour of my skin and you go, all right, well, she's not whatever we're picturing in your head. Like, I always tell people, you know, like my dad, because my dad's white, my dad looks a bit like Santa, right? <laughs> and my mum looks like whatever you're picturing on the front of a National Geographic magazine with the titties <laughs> out. Um, <laughs> hey, I'm obviously lying, don't. <laughs> my dad looks nothing like Santa. No, um, I <laughs> um, no, just just the idea that that um, that you have to give up your Aboriginality if there's any bit of white yeah. heritage. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because the, the this is this is kind of the the message or the lesson that needs to be sent now is that the reason why my complexion is as much Aboriginal as anybody else is because of the Stolen Generation. And for people who don't know about the Stolen Generation, um, I'll give you a little little quick history lesson. So up until 1965, when the Assimilation Act um, ended, they used to take children who had any white heritage in them and take them to um, Christian missions to civilise them. And they were slaves and there was a lot of bad things that happened. But at the same time, they had propaganda up that said, let's breed the black out. So it was like encouraging like 
rape and all of that sort of stuff, right? Um, but also, it was only 1967 that the referendum was passed to allow us to be counted in the census. Yeah. So before then, we were fauna and flora. And considering how recent that is, it, you know, it makes a lot of sense that there is so many different colours of Aboriginal because yeah. that's what his, history asked to happen yeah, to yeah, us, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, well, it's it, Australia's this... I've been a couple of times in this bit, and it's been, like, nearly 20 years since I've, uh, I've been out there. Mm. But um, it's this weird country because it's very progressive in some ways, and it feels like a cool version of America in a lot of ways. And then that the race thing... I mean, not just racism against the, ab the Aboriginal people, but Asian people oh. and everyone is so extreme. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, uh, we did drive... We drove to Uluru, or Ayers mm. Rock, as mm. uh, it's called by what <laughs> European people. Uh, and so we went through all the towns, mm. and, you know, you see this completely different Australia. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think, I think what's really interesting as well is that, um, you know, obviously Australia's a first-world country, but there are big parts of Australia where where the Aboriginal people are pushed to that are pretty much like developing countries. Yeah. And, and it's really sad because the, the government says it's not economical for us to keep these communities alive. And you're like, you're the reason they were pushed into this area in the first place. Yeah. And it's also one of these things where, and this is, I think this is the sad thing and this is the thing that needs to change, is that there's this, this idea that all of the social issues that exist as a result of generational trauma and being on the outer have come, like all of the social issues, so uh, substance abuse and, and stuff like that, right? It's seen as a symptom of being Aboriginal instead of a symptom of absolutely being on the outer yeah. and striving for, you know, like only just being let into Australian society within the last 50 years. Yeah. So that's the thing that I think really well, needs to change. I mean, uh, to a lesser extent, I think that's true of every, all over the world, isn't exactly. it? Is the, is, the, is the way that the minority groups or the or the kept down groups are, are, are treated in that same way and then, yeah, that self-perpetuating myth. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's just empathy over apathy yeah. is what needs to happen, I think, you know. And so do you, think, do you find that comedy is the best way to kind of address this uh, in Australia? Is it? Does Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, sorry. No, don't say that. <laughs> don't, don't say that's a bad word. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. Well, because, you know, like if you're an, if you're an Indigenous um, performer, you're kind of expected to either be a traditional dancer, traditional um, musician, traditional artist. And it's only sort of been quite recently where there's this been this real push for truth-telling. And I think that's all that comedy is. It's vulnerable truth-telling yeah. that you can just sew those messages in while people are laughing. And, that, and it's like... I love doing it. I love watching people just get real uncomfortable too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you talk about white, white, <laughs> white guilt versus avert, avert racism is one of your, mm -hmm. your, your themes. Oh, well, because white guilt's the funniest shit. <laughs> like, I don't know. If, like, if I said to you, like, I, we might be able to watch it in action. Hold on a second. Um, <laughs> so you know how some of your ancestors killed mine? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> There's always this this little like <laughs> it's um no I love watching it happen yeah. and people just. There's, there's it's kind of cute like there's a really there's such a sweetness to it but it's so cringe like it's just yeah. so cringe like I had this um so when sorry day so sorry day was when uh, our government recognised stolen generation and said sorry for it right and <laughs> I went out that night. And this woman, this young girl comes up to me, drunk off her face, and goes, excuse me, 
are you indigenous? And I was like, yeah, I am. And she went, can I just say on behalf of myself and all of Australia <laughs> that I'm sorry. <laughs> so, I mean, you can, but you look like a dickhead, you know? Like, <laughs> just how cringe is that? A 19-year-old being like, I speak for Australia. Love but, it. I mean, having a sorry day seems like a little bit... Like a, a, bit, a bit too little, too late as well. Exactly. Sorry, <laughs> Oops, sorry about Tasmania. Oh, bye. <laughs> uh, thanks. Well, exactly. See you next year for another sorry day. <laughs> After Australia Day, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we celebrate the day we came anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, but you can understand. It, it, it's. I mean, it's more than embarrassing. It's a little bit embarrassing uh, for <laughs> for that. that you know that. that it's, it's interesting that um, now that people are starting to address it, you can sort of understand why people were... were the oh. white guilt was more than white guilt. Was, was, you know, the, the, if we can push this away, then we don't have to address it at all. Exactly. Yeah. 100%. And I, it's, it's, um, it's such an interesting thing because I think um, most people have no real understanding of... You know, if you're in the city and you see an Aboriginal person and they've got a job, like you're like, I don't know what their problem is. Everything's fine. <laughs> But like, <laughs> but the reality is like that, you know, we're um, I think five or six times more likely to be incarcerated um, in small community. To give you an idea, 2009, uh, no sorry, 2014, um, they were doing the forced closure of Aboriginal communities. So that there used to be a small island off the west coast of Australia um, that had Indigenous people on it and they forced them all off the island and push them into a little community on the outskirts of somewhere in Western, it's Perth, I don't give a fuck. And, um, <laughs> and then they said, oh, well, there's only 100 people living here. It's not economical for us to keep on providing them with electricity and water. And they were trying to close it down and just had no plans for where they were gonna put the people. That was 2014. Yeah. And it didn't, make the, it didn't make news headlines. It only made news headlines in indigenous circles because yeah. it's embarrassing. And genocide usually is embarrassing, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, you've got to do it. That's the sound of white guilt, fuckers. You've got, <laughs> you've got to do it completely or not at all. That's my yeah, thing with well, genocide. Absolutely. Either get a lot <laughs> or don't start. Otherwise you get advocates like me. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> And I mean, I, your websites, you've got a blog on your website. There's a couple of great, again, quite serious blogs on there about things. There's one about uh, you uh, being brought up in Brisbane mm. and, and the way that you're treated as a result of about whether, you know, the, the sort of stuff you're talking about. But it's mm. very interesting. So you're trying to get more knowledge of your own particular tribe. Absolutely. Well, we lost, we lost our language. Yeah. So it was, it was illegal to talk your language. So for my, okay, so in my particular family history, um, my great-grandfather, who was the head of our tribe, um, for him to make sure that the kids weren't taken or killed, he had to get an exemption card. Now, we have all of these in archives, and the exemption card said... Uh, so he had to go to a magistrate and get them to say, well, he's one of the good ones, so as long as he stays away from other black people, doesn't speak his language, and um, takes a huge pay cut, which slavery was literally getting, it was indentured, um, indentured service, yeah. um, then we won't take his kids. But every single child that got to a certain age had to go through the exemption, pro the exemption process. Yeah. And then there was, a, there was a really awful thing because my 
my auntie's mum was taken away to one of the missions um, and it was because her white husband, who just saw her as a bit of a plaything, prostituted her out and beat her and then told the police that she was a prostitute, even though he was doing it. And so then that kid was, was taken. That's my auntie now and they didn't even name her. There's no reference to her name in any of the archives. It says the Aboriginal girl. And it, you know, so it's like, it's all of this. So, so what's happening in, 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 our, in our tribe, and it's, it's a very common story, especially along the east coast of Australia, is that we weren't allowed to speak language, we weren't allowed to practice our traditional customs or anything like that. And so a lot of it's lost. And then, you know, my mum made the decision, because she grew up in a very racist little town, to raise us in a big city where we had opportunities. And then you become even further removed from it. And then all of a sudden you're stuck with this identity crisis of, well, I've got all of the advantages of being in a city and I could just tell people I'm Italian, like I could get away with this. <laughs> and then also going, but if I don't continue on my culture, it dies, at this, it dies with this generation. Because we've still got some elders who have some knowledge and they're relearning the language. So if I don't pursue that, if I'm not an act, like an advocate, if I'm not actively trying to get our message out, we've wiped out our history. Yeah. So it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a really weird one to walk. Yeah, it mm. is, I mean, the, 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 I'm sort of fascinated by the way that humanity has spread around the globe and the, 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 the story of the average people is so incredible because somehow mm. people got from Africa, I mean, Again, no one's entirely sure about this, but if you're yeah, from yeah. Africa, it's sort of 70,000, 50,000 years ago and got to Australia. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of insane. So th that, that journey of those people, yeah. uh, and is, or maybe in the last 10, 20, 30,000 years, something like that. No, uh, they've actually found um, uh, bones that go back to about 90,000 really? years. Okay. Yeah. So now they're all a bit like, where the fuck did they come from? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there's actually interesting... Um, research that's just come out recently uh, that seems to, they seem to think that when, remember when continents look different? I don't know. Is that yeah. going to happen again? I don't know. Anyway. Um. Eventually it will all kind of come. <laughs> Pangaea, I think it was when, when the whole, the, everyone was clumped together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was kind of, remember, was it Gondwana land? Is that a thing? Yes, yes. says one person. Thank you. That sounds Aboriginal, doesn't yeah. it? Gondwana. Anyway, you don't know. I do. Um, <laughs> no, I don't. I lost my language. Don't laugh. Um, <laughs> come to my show. I feel guilty the whole time. Um, <laughs> we, uh, they, they, they've done some research. They think that um, we sort of migrated down through Asia yeah, yeah. and Papua New Guinea. Yeah. Um, and so somewhere in Asia, somewhere in Papua New Guinea, so like... We're so connected all the way back. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's super interesting. But they also said um, they when they were I can't even remember what this research that I read was, but it was like to start a completely new country and tribe and and have enough like diversity in genetics. It was had to be planned so well that they were like they had to walk with eight thousand people and all separate at different parts. So it was it was very very much. A planned, mapped trip, right. which is kind of incredible. Yeah, mm. and 
you know, and then those people then wiped out all the amazing indigenous creatures <laughs> in Australia. So it's, you know, it's just the human story, isn't it? It's just what we do. We travel around and then destroy everything until, <laughs> until there's nothing left apart from some rocks. Those sad. giant kangaroos would have been great. I wish they were still around. <laughs> oh, yes. With massive ones. The big ones, yeah. yeah. Creepy things. Though. Yeah, that'd be great. Fucking terrifying. I'd love to eat one of those. I, can, I start to see how it happened now. <laughs> oh my goodness! It's been very interesting. We have we've we've, we've got uh, we've got taken down. What have, what have I got? You you uh, you're dating a ginger man? Is that still the case? I am dating a ginger. Yeah. yeah. It's good well, to they're see. easier they're easier to get. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Not just because he's always injured from the sunburn, but you know. Like <laughs> <laughs> good to know. Good to know. Uh, and um, yeah, it's. Uh, it's very well worth it. Oh, I, you talk about tokenism a bit in your um, blog as well, I think. Mm. And, and just it really annoys me the kind of people who, who get upset about, you know, female comedians at all, you know, going, why are they putting two female writers on, uh, <laughs> on a show? This ITV insisted there was a female writer on every sketch show. Mm. Uh, and people go, this is tokenism, it's insane. And at what point are you getting angry that there's one woman and not that there's yeah. eight bikers. <laughs> and so, like, if there's, you know, 3% or something of Australians yeah. are Aboriginal, so yeah. th three in every hundred comedians in Australia should be Aboriginal. Oh, we've got, like, five in yeah. total. So, <laughs> so that, I did that, that idea of tokenism is insane. sort of saying, I don't think that certain races are amusing, is what you're saying, isn't it? <laughs> Which is, you know... Yeah, I know. I, I used to get really upset about it because I'd go, well, I don't want to just be an Aboriginal comedian. I actually found it really hard. I never used to do comedy about my heritage because I was really scared. I was terrified of how people would take it, number one. Uh, number two, I just thought if I ever get success, it will always be, oh, well, of course she got gigs because she's Aboriginal and a woman. And so I, I never prefaced it. Like, I, I, I never, sorry, I never talked about it um, and then I lived in Edinburgh for a couple of years and I told a friend of mine a story about Australia and about being black and she said that's one of the funniest things I've ever heard <laughs> and I told it on stage do you want can I tell it because yeah. because this is so this because this is the funniest thing this will show to you how ignorant Australia is right so we have this I think really we got it already but <laughs> let's 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 really nail it hello Australian listeners <laughs> Hoping to go out there at some point and ruin that. <laughs> go on. But to me, to me, this is this is so funny. This is what started me going, hey, I can use this stage to make people laugh and say something important. So back home we have this really famous albino humpback whale. And he's done so much for international tourism. Seriously, right? <laughs> like this whale is the only one in the world. And so when he came into Australia, everyone was like, oh my god. Let's give him a name, <laughs> you know. And then somebody was like, we should probably let the black people name it. <laughs> Feels fair. Um, <laughs> and so they consulted with some elders actually up near where, where my tribe is from, right? And they gave it a name. And to be fair, it is an Aboriginal name, right? Yeah. So this whale's name is Migaloo. But to be more fair, Migaloo, where I'm from and throughout most of Aboriginal Australia, does mean white cunt. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody researched it. You know? 
And I was like, yeah, fuck, that does belong on stage. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's too good. Yeah. And that's what started me going, yeah, there's so much funny, ridiculous shit that just, if you can laugh at it, it doesn't hurt, you know? Yeah. So. Well, it's, I think it is a good way to inform, but you know, those are important. Everything you've said, you know, people aren't aware of those things. Yeah. Exactly. So if you've got a platform to, to explain that stuff's happened and you know and still going on, mm. it's it's really important. But you know it is important also to be funny, which you definitely are. <laughs> <laughs> like, hopefully I'll get to talk to you again another time. Yeah, absolutely. Really fantastic to meet you. We'll tell tell everyone where your show is so they yep. can come see it. So it's um at Assembly Studio Four at three fifty five every day. Um, it's called Aboriginal Comedy All Stars. We've got Andy Saunders who is on a huge reality TV show back home at the moment. Uh, he beatboxes and dances and he's awesome. We've got Kevin Crepinuri who's one generation away from a dirt floor, has got the most amount of love and energy and sweat you've ever seen a man have. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then me. Yeah. But it's, it's a really good show and we've been selling out. We want to continue to do, this, to do so. Yeah, so get it's tickets quick. Time, yeah, first it's not like this show, you can turn up on the day on this show, but it's on the... <laughs> <laughs> but it's the first time that a showcase has yeah. ever... Melbourne Comedy Festival's producing us. They've gone, we need to show the world yeah, yeah. the best Aboriginal comedians. And well, it's what the festival you know. and the Fringe is all about, so it's fantastic. Absolutely. And welcome yeah. back to us to Scotland. Thank and you so thank much. much. Hey, thank Ladies you so much. Steph Tisdell. Brilliant, thank you very much. Uh, and um, uh, look, I hope you've got a programme beginning. That's a free gift from me to you. What I'm doing with this show, is with all, as I do with all my stand-up shows, uh, at the end of the show, I make a collection for Scope, which is the charity I'm involved with, which helps disabled people. It's trying to get equal rights and access for disabled people. If you think that programme was worth something, you'd like to donate on your way out. They'll either be holding buckets or there might be a bucket on my table. I have a little table uh, in the doorway I've been re relegated to where I'll be very happy to sign your programme, do selfies, and I am selling copies of both uh, my new emergency questions book at a knockdown price uh, and my old emergency questions book. Uh, there's mainly different questions uh, and there's some stickers as well uh, very happy to sell you one of those but if you would like to give some money to scope please give it in the bucket or text the number in your program if you're from the future because no one has money i don't carry money anymore do you carry money sir no you do yeah how much you got on you now <laughs> 15 pounds in the bucket please thank you very much so um got, you've just proved that you have money uh so it'd be lovely to see you there uh, i've got a card reader and everything so you know it's like a shop that i run sell up to five books a day. Um, my second guest today is probably best known for appearing in the play The One and the Many by Tiny Face Trevor Locke. <laughs> uh, have you got that reference? Uh, he was Trev from Trevor and Natalie from This Morning Rich Not Judy. I was singing that to myself the other day. Uh, I thought more people might remember him, but nope. Uh, will you please welcome the amazing Jen Brister, ladies and gentlemen. I like that you chose the, the most obscure reference with I which to introduce I me. I did, that's what I do, it's my hilarious running joke. Thank you for enjoying it. It was hard to find anything, because everything you've done has been superb. Oh, thank you, Rich. Well, that Apart was from actually Trevor Locke's <laughs> useless play. Trevor Locke is wonderful, is a he dear is. friend of mine, and his play was marvellous in 2009, and the 11 people that saw it thoroughly enjoyed <laughs> it. So. He's a great, he, he's on in Edinburgh this year as well. And you must and he's fantastic, Trevor. go and see Trevor. He's got a very small face on a regular-sized head. That's, well, that's, that's, that's the, how did you act against that? Was he acting with you? Just, just in the middle of his face. Really in the middle. Mm. Must be hard to know where to look when you're acting with that. 
Just keep it central. You keep, keep it, it right in, but then that look, people go, why is she looking right at his nose? And then if you look at his eyes, why is she not looking at his face like Charlie from I Just Patrick? look at his cock and that, yeah, that, that saves that problem. <laughs> so welcome. It's, uh, I've been reading your book. I, I, because I have children myself, I find it quite hard to read books. That is the that is the. I don't have the downfall. concentration. I don't have the concentration to, to read a book. I don't know how I managed You've to write book that, book. but About there we are. Being, uh, the Other Mother. It's called The Other Mother. Yes. Um, because you have... Four-year-old twin boys. I have four-year-old twin boys with uh, my partner, uh, which um, we're not uh, solicitors, uh, Lezers, <laughs> and um, <laughs> and uh, so uh, yes, there's two of us, so two mums. Uh, I am the non-biological mum. She's the biological mum, and that is how we refer to each other at home. So there we are, like red boxes of detergent. <laughs> She's personal, I'm dad's. That's how we do it. Um, it's, um, it's, uh, it's a very readable book, and I have got a certain way in, but I haven't read it all, so I don't know what happens at the end. Oh, it just, just continues. Keep growing, it, it just, just keeps growing going. bigger. It just carries on. They um, home and go somewhere else. Uh, yeah, I wanted to write the book. The reason why I started writing the book, I think, and I think, by the way, Richard, well done on this podcast. You've had an Aboriginal woman yes. and a leather. Yeah. I mean, you're nailing it. Thank you. <laughs> This diversity quota, he, doesn't, he can have white straight men for the rest of the run because yeah. he's absolutely nailed You're it. You're not going to find any. There are not, honestly, it's, it's all, no. I haven't had a single show with two men on yet. It's going to happen well, quite soon. Absolutely none worth knowing. Um, <laughs> the Masons must have been absolutely, when they were building this, they went, this is what we want. This is why we built this. Have an Aboriginal woman and a leather. <laughs> Wanging on. Um, so I wanted to write the book because... I don't know. I, I mean, as a dad, I, were you, did you want to read any dad books before your children I, were born? My wife was obsessed with reading all the books. So was to my, the extent mine. Kind of put, and I thought, I want to wing it. I want to work out how to Same. do it myself. But that's classic stand-up comedian. Yeah. That's yeah. what we do. We just wing it. We're like, it'll be all right. Just turn up. What, how bad can it get? Throw, throw a couple of beer cans at me. I'll survive it. And I also thought all the books say it's the same thing. When you've got, got a dog and when we've got children, the same thing happens. Everyone gives you the advice on how to do it, how to bring them up, yeah. and it's all different advice. So you ignore all of yeah, it. Yeah, so you've got to ignore all of it, because everyone just says, this is how you have a dog, and this is yeah. how you have a baby. And also, a lot of those books are very prescriptive, aren't yeah, they? Yeah. So they, 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 like, people take a line with parenting, they go, yeah, this is how you do it. And you're like, ah, it's not working for me. Um, so I wanted to write a book, A, that was not prescriptive in any way, that basically went, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and also one that sort of just reflected my experience because there was nothing for my situation, no. absolutely nothing at all. So I thought there are other lezers out there, I believe. <laughs> Squeezed in. It'd be amazing Pretty if you'd found the only one. The that only would be one. incredible, wouldn't it? I yeah. mean, you'd think my career would be going <laughs> a lot better, wouldn't you? But no. Um, and so that's why I wanted to write it. And, uh, and I was writing a, anyway, I was writing a kind of a blog anyway for uh, Sarah Millican's um, website, Standard Issue. Yeah. And that was the start of it. And I got a lot of emails and messages and feedback going, really loved it. It's really, and a lot of people that don't, didn't even have children were reading it, which I thought was weird. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, so I got a book proposal together and I managed to get a book deal. And yeah, and that was it. So I started writing it. Yeah, but I think with all these things, like people have an idea about how things should be, and then they don't ever experience anyone else's life. And so the great thing about just a book like that is you go, oh, this is these are just <laughs> two other people having a baby. Oh my it's God. the same as what happened to us, or it was the same as what might happen to us. Yeah. But it's different. But it's you no, know, it's interesting. So it's 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 
you know, it's, it's, incredibly that, 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 it's incredible that people could be that stupid. Yes. But that's what people are like, isn't it? Yeah, of course. I mean, I, when it's because, oh, God, I don't want to give the white straight men in the room here a hard time, but I bloody well will. Um, <laughs> it's because that is whatever the societal norm is, isn't it? Yeah. That's the PH7. That's what we understand to be the natural, what we should all be aspiring to be. Um, and so anything outside of that is considered other. So even in stand-up comedy, as a woman, I will be a female comedian. I'm not a comedian, I'm a female comedian. Or if they get bored of that, then I'm a lesbian. I'm a gay comedian. Um, but if you are a man and you're white, you are, you are just a comedian. And it's very much the same in parenting. If you are a heterosexual couple, you are just parents. But if you are in a lesbian relationship or you're in a, a you know, gay relationship or you're trans or whatever, then you're, again, you're othered. For, you know. And essentially, all of the experiences that we're having are universal. And I just wanted to go, see, yeah. look, it's the same. If you have children, they are going to do, all, they all do the same. <laughs> they do the same things, don't they? <laughs> um, and before they arrive, you have the delusion that you're like, I'm just going to. Did you have this thing that before your children were born where you think, I'm just going to want to spend every waking hour with them? <laughs> And then they're, like, they're five now, and you're like, oh, God, are you still here? Why are you still here? Um, I remember, like, when, the, when uh, Phoebe was just born, and I, I would, like, the first couple of days, and I would, you know, they'd been up and down all night, and I was, I was sitting in bed sort of with my uh, community writing my blog and thinking, actually, this is going to really work. This is going to really help me <laughs> to write because I'm going to be awake for the, this time, and I can really concentrate. Yeah. It's going to be perfect. Yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't no. the case. <laughs> How did you... Did, did she sleep? I'm not straight away. She's been pretty good sleeper. Ernie, my second one, is not a good sleeper, so he's, uh, he w he's been waking up. Today it was 6.15 rather than 5.15, but he's been waking up in Edinburgh singing his version of Baby Shark every morning. This is how I wake up hearing a child go, na na na, daddy, na na daddy. If I never hear that song again, that will be okay yeah. by me. Yeah. Um, mine didn't sleep for three years, yeah. so I don't know if anyone else can top that. And that kind of sleep deprivation is deathly. <laughs> it's, you know, like... You'd meet people. You know when mates are like, oh, I'm tired, and you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I went out last night and got drunk. Got home at three, got up at seven. Oh, you got four hours. <laughs> 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 right in the throat, you know? Um, yeah, it becomes all-consuming, and the, yeah. the, the, the thing about being a parent, the thing I've loved about being a parent is probably the fact that it keeps you... Oh, I, that whole mindfulness, any time anyone talks about that, makes me want to just throw up. But actually, it's true. It just keep your children, keep you in the present. And I've really enjoyed that because there is a danger in this job to be constantly thinking, why haven't I got this? And why isn't this happening in my life? And then your children do shit in your shoes and you're like, okay, let's deal with that. Um, <laughs> so I've, 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 you know, the thing is, is that it's that, it's that sort of strange dichotomy that, that 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 like with your children that you love them and you adore them and you think about them all the time and they consume your life because you there's that intense love isn't there that you you're not expecting and even though particularly as somebody that is not biologically related to my children i did think that what if i i don't know i thought and i say it in the book what if they turn up and i don't like them yeah. you know um and I did fall in love with them. It didn't, wasn't immediate, but I definitely did fall in love with them. And then there's the other thing where you realise that they've, you know, just completely ruined your life. And <laughs> it's really hard to reconcile those two things. Um, but I think the fact that there is a lot of 
great PR and people don't tend to be honest about how awful it is, or if they're not enjoying it, like you, I mean, frequently, if you're in a mum, those mum and baby groups, and you ask people, they're like, oh, how are you doing? Oh, just wonderful. I'm just having <laughs> such a month. Just really connecting with my daughter, and just, you know, we're just baking, and you're like, she's three months. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> you're putting her in the mix. I mean, what? And I was genuinely struggling. I was struggling, and I was not very good at it, and I would frequently go out and forget nappies or be the person to forget wet wipes, and I'd just be seen in a park wiping my kid's ass along some grass <laughs> and <laughs> trying, to, <laughs> trying to keep some self-respect. Um, and I wanted to write a book that just said, look, if you're... And also, there is a huge... Um, I think... And obviously, I didn't go through this because I've not... You know, obviously, didn't give birth to my children, but... A postnatal depression is a huge thing that we don't talk about and the fact that some mothers and fathers just don't immediately connect with their children and the fact that it isn't always great and you feel lonely and you can feel a bit depressed yeah. and even if you love your child you can still be like I, this is the worst time of my life um, <laughs> so I just wanted to have a book that just went if that is your experience then yeah. don't worry about it you're not alone, yeah. and that's normal, and you will get through it, and it does get better. Yeah, and the things that are different, of course, with two, with two mothers is that, you know, again, that you don't necessarily think about, but obviously it's a big part, that there was, there was no sperm available, which seems unfair, the amount of sperm that lesbians but have created and <laughs> been responsible for, but it's, it's not there for you. You have to go and find it somewhere. Well, you don't have to look long. You just sort of... <laughs> I mean, I'd have saved some up in a pot for you if I'd known you were... We just creep in, and while you fellas are sleeping, <laughs> then we're out of there, and... Um... But you had to go... You went, you've got to select Oh, the, the selecting of the, the sperm is absurd. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's... it's um... I mean, I suppose everyone sort of does... Everyone else does that. Well, you do go. sort of select yeah. the sperm, don't <laughs> you? It's, it's not like sort of <laughs> randomly milking men in the <laughs> Weatherspoons. <I'm... laughs> it looks all right. Look over there, fella. Um, I, I, um, it is interesting when you're selecting your sperm because, I, I mean, some of you, I assume a lot of you won't know this, but there are lots of different sperm banks. There's not just one. Uh, each one will give you a different amount of information. What you never get is a photograph. You've got no idea what your sperm donor looks like, but you can get all kinds of information, like their history of their medical history up to a certain point, and their height, their weight, their interests, what they do for a living. Some sperm banks offer you an IQ, which is a bit bonkers. And, um, and also, our, the sperm bank that we chose gave a recording of him talking, and you get a picture of them as a child and all of the others. And I don't, still not sure why we chose this bloke because he was really obnoxious in the recording. <laughs> like, I was like, this guy's a real douche. Um, and uh, I think the reason why we chose him is just because there was one line from one of the nurses in the sperm bank that went, this guy is really hot. And we went, fine, we'll have him. <laughs> uh, really thick and annoying, but uh, beautiful. Um, <laughs> But to be honest, that's why a way most women have chosen their They're men, yeah. <laughs> it's fine. We're gonna, it's good to see that somewhere deep inside you that still works. <laughs> Choose the worst possible uh. man to have. 
Just uh, keep that cycle going of creating uh, the well worst Ben. It's, it's, it's fat. I'm, I can't wait to read the rest of it in over the next 18 years as I can read one page <laughs> at a time. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's a written, it's, is it out yet? It's out soon or is it out? It's out, out on the 5th of September. Right, okay. And uh, yeah, and, and also it is a book and it is about, oh, it's a book. Do I need to tell you that? Yeah. It's a parenting book, but it's not really. I think it, um, I wrote it, I wrote it because I wanted it to be funny, and that was first and foremost what I wanted to write was a funny book. And a lot of people that have read it, you know, that I've given it to don't have children and have enjoyed it. So obviously you'll get an extra layer of enjoyment if you have children, certainly. But if you don't, it's still just a funny book. Yeah. I hope I've made that clear. <laughs> it definitely is. Um, and uh, what's your, is your Edinburgh show this year, Underprivilege? Under yes, my show is called Underprivilege, and it's at 7.45 at the Monkey Barrel. And it's basically, again, I sort of started writing it because my, it's not really about my children, but they are definitely a catalyst for the show, looking at privilege because they are obviously little white boys and they're going to grow up to be uh, white men, and looking at their privilege and what they have compared to what I've got and, and also how I want them, who I want them to be. So yeah. I'm looking at the privilege privileged through the prism of their of their eyes basically and that's what it's funny i mean i've really not made it sound funny it's not a ted talk there are only jokes in there you will enjoy it but you have done a ted talk about that subject roughly i did a about yeah i did a tedx talk about toxic masculinity yeah. and bringing up your children to yeah within a patriarchal society and how the patriarchy is toxic for men yeah. As well as for women. But it's in, you know, we had John Robbins on the other day and he was talking about, the, you know, being more open as a man and, and communicating with, you know, I think people forget how hard it is for young men and how hard it is for men and that, that, that they don't talk about these subjects. And, and so I think, like, just being open to, you, you know, you're talking about letting them be who, who they want to be in that TED talk, aren't you? And, 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 yeah, and I how emotionally open, like, a four year old boy is and that we knock that out of them, you know. Yeah, I think we kick it out of boys, and so that when they become adolescent, then we're t they're told, okay, you've had your time to be able to express yourself, and now just bury that yeah. <laughs> forever until the day you die. And then we're sort of surprised when men find it difficult to communicate their feelings or might use other means of ways of expressing themselves, whether it be aggression or uh, in a way that is, you know, I suppose that we now consider socially unacceptable. And so we create men to be in a particular way and then we punish them and uh, it's just a w means of saying that we as a society are responsible for allowing young boys to have a valve to be who they are and let that continue until they're men and forever and if you want to have a cry fellas just cry <laughs> you're allowed and just be you know i think just allowing men and boys and uh, to to talk about stuff and uh, to be allowed to be different because it is this there is this weird pressure and i remember it from school and i was not a very boyy boy, you know, no. so, and I wasn't a very sporty boy, and I wasn't interested in things boys were meant to be interested in. Same. And, and it's, uh, it's, it's uh, you know, it's difficult to, to address that because you're, the, you know, the peer pressure is to conform to that. So, and for girls as well, to be fair, so it's not like just a male yeah. problem. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a bit easier now, but we still do push certain, uh, like the whole blue pink thing, you know, if you go into any toy store, if you go into any shop where they're selling clothes, you will see all the boys' clothes are blue and all the girls' clothes are pink. And, um, uh, you, you know, my boys, I mean, one of them definitely, likes, since he was born, I mean, if he was a baby, he'd, like, scream if he saw a truck and we'd have to stop and look at a truck for, like, ten minutes. <laughs> and the other one just loves getting dressed up as a ladybird. So, um, <laughs> 
stop. Uh, and, and whatever they want to do, we want them to be able to do it and, and, and be able to express themselves. So if they, you know, we never, if, you want, if one of them wants to get put, put on a dress, then he's totally, and I know that make people are like, well, you're gonna sing him up to, you know, have a hard time when he's older. And I'm like, I don't think so. And if it gets to the point where he's like, okay, I really can only feel comfortable doing this at home, then I want him to know that he can just do it at home. Things are going to get harder because they start school in September and I know that they're going to experience peer pressure and they're going to be told what is considered normal, but we are in Brighton, so I think we'll be all right. <laughs> I feel sorry for the, the kids who are just a heterosexual couple. There's parents uh, in Brighton, imagine that... We tolerate them. We tolerate them. And <laughs> <laughs> their hetty ways. Uh, and, and you're a fantastic stand-up. You can check you out online if you, you haven't seen stuff yet. I was very much enjoying your Apollo set about um, eating ice creams behind a bin because the only way you can eat an ice cream as a parent, as I, I, I ate an ice cream out behind inside the, the, the freezer today. I was in, I just stood in the freezer and ate an ice cream while my kids were watching telly because I've told my daughter she can't have ice cream for breakfast. No. I love having lollies for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> I literally, I stood inside the freezer and ate a Tangle Twister so fast that I couldn't enjoy it. It's so true. Like, you're telling them they can't have something and then you, as soon as you say it, you're like behind a cupboard door just ramming a ballpoint biscuit into it. Yeah. But, uh, and, you, and your mum's uh, Spanish, right? Yes, I'm a Spanish mum, yeah. yeah. So she, she has featured a lot in my stand-up over the years, but she's, she's not really in this show. No. She's got a tiny, tiny cameo, but no. people seem to be a bit disappointed she's not in it more. But she did say to me, actually, no, Jennifer, no more is enough. <laughs> Write a joke. Because <laughs> really, I just listened to her and go, yeah, thank you very much. I was <laughs> right there. It, it is, it's very funny stuff with her. Uh, and um, what else have I got here? I'm going to ask you some emergency questions, otherwise th these people will get nothing. They'll be very upset if they don't have enough. They've come all this way, Colin, haven't they, for no emergency questions. Um, I won't ask you about this. There's, there is a question about uh, sperm banks, but I can't quite remember what it is. But part, part of it is, would you rather drink the contents of a well-stocked sperm bank? I can't remember what the other option is off the top of my head. <laughs> I'm guessing. I'm, I'm guess guessing you'll go for the other one. That yeah, is my. That's I'm my. That's pretty my sure that that wouldn't be the one I'd go for. <laughs> given me, my well, gag reflex. Let me ask: If have you ever seen a ghost? I'm enjoying asking people if they've ever seen a ghost. I'm no. going to say you've never seen a ghost. Yeah, I was going to predict that. Never seen one. Never got I, close. But I don't know. I don't think so. No. I saw one up in my dressing room. It was a little Scottish man. <laughs> you he saw just a little Scottish. He was just up there sitting there using my toilet. Yeah. Not saying anything walked out. I mean, it could have been a Scottish man. I mean, it might just have been a man. It might have been a man, but it might have been a ghost, wasn't it? Yeah, well, there's no way. What no, did you put your hand in my dressing room? Why didn't you put your hand through him? Because oh, what if he was real? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, mate, just checking out. <laughs> uh, groin first. There we go. Uh, this, is, this is a new one I, I'm, I'm interested in about. Um, if you could take one item from any museum or art gallery in the world that you could then own for the rest of your life, is that you're allowed to keep what? Artifact or painting from a from a, a museum or oh my god! Like now that this is only going to show my complete ignorance of having never really been to a museum or an art gallery. There must be um, something you like that you'd be cool. Do you ever go around museums? Think like, and it doesn't even have to be a valuable thing. Just them sometimes. Oh, I'd like to have that at home. Um, they do a really nice like apple cake in the National Portrait <laughs> Gallery. <laughs> we had it. It's really expensive. Yeah. It's like. 
Fiverr? And I'm like, I'm not having that, but I, I could get all of that. Yeah, you could take that home. Yeah, I'd take that. Look at that. It's a good answer. It's a very good answer. Uh, I th- I'm kind of thinking a dinosaur maybe now. I went for one of the Lewis Isle chessmen yesterday. Oh, oh no. Dinosaur That's would be nice. a brilliant idea, yeah. Or yeah. well, if I was going to the Science Museum, they've got lots of little funny little things you can press yeah. buttons that make noises, haven't they? You one could of have those. like Stevenson's rocket, it could have. Um, no. Uh, you could have the lunar landing module. God, no. All my kids would love that. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I don't know if you've got space in the house, though. Um, this one came up yesterday as well, if, coincidentally. If you had to invent a fifth season, which two other seasons would you put it in between and what would happen in your new season? I would definitely have a dry season. Okay. Uh, no, that's rubbish. I wouldn't have a dry season. I would have a... Christ, that's a tricky one, it isn't is it? Hard. I, do you know what? I would quite like a snow... No, here, wait. Yeah. Can I decide where the season is? Yeah. And it happens between... Oh, Jesus. So it happens, and it's how long is this season? Well, it's, you can choose. I mean, it, I would say three months, because most of them are, but... You can have it shorter or longer? I'm going to have to shorten it. Okay. Okay, so I would like to have the snowy season, but it's never too much snow, but just okay. enough snow to make everything look really pretty, but not enough snow that everything stops and we all hate, e- hate the public transport and each other and work becomes a nightmare, but just enough snow that when we go out, we're like, I feel good about myself and my yeah. life, and everything is like a little... Like, you know when you see, like, a little... You know, Christmas, we're always told that it's snowing and there's never snow. I think there should just be a little bit of a snowy season just before Christmas, and then it fucks off. (laughs) (laughs) And then at Christmas, we can still be as depressed and disappointed as we always are over that one week. Yeah, Um, yeah, so that. There never is a white Christmas. I would like... There's never a white Christmas. There's never a white Christmas. It's actually... Uh, depressing that every time you watch a show about Christmas, it's always snowing. Yeah. I don't, that's why I won't let my children watch The Snowman. <laughs> <laughs> there will never be any more snow. You know, ever again. In about 10 years, we won't have snow, will we? I don't think we'll ever have snow. There's no snow in the Arctic anymore, so that there'll be any. In the Maybe UK. we should have a boating season, <laughs> yeah. given that the rising sea levels. Yeah, true. Yeah. And then we all have to get like um, catamarans. And uh, what are those boats where you go along on a... What are they called? Punts. We could... Punting yeah. and kayaking. You need a long pole, I think, to reach the we're really to reach the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> where we're Just keeps be. going down. It's going to be a Waterworld um, season. Like, did you ever see Waterworld with Kevin Costner? With Kevin Costner, yeah. It's one of the worst films I've ever yeah. seen in my entire life. Did you enjoy it? I don't know if I've seen it. I'm just so aware of it via all the, the jokes about it. I don't think I've ever watched it. It don't, no, don't watch I'm it. I'm going to watch it tonight. I'm, I'm going to see if it's in my DVD collection in my rented accommodation. Oh, yeah, those are great. Yeah. And what have you got in your rented there collection? There is quite a lot of things in there. Um, they've got uh, they've got all Harry Potter. They've got quite a lot of kids' stuff. I'm trying to think what they had. Uh, Legally Blonde. I've never seen Legally Blonde. I might watch that. I've got, I've got Billy Elliot. Have you? Yeah. yeah. It's worth seeing. And it's good we're at the greatest arts festival in the world and we're considering watching DVDs yeah. in our houses once our kids I mean, are asleep. Come on. What has become of us? Uh, I'll be watching something called The Offering. Okay. Yeah, I've got no idea what that's about, but it looks very bleak, which yeah. suits my mood. Cool. So, uh, when's your show on? And S- 7.45 uh, at the Monkey Barrel, which is a brilliant venue. Do go and check it out. There's five different venues, really, really great comedians there. Uh, it is sold out for tonight, but there are tickets for tomorrow. Good. And, uh, and will you be touring the show as well? I am home? touring the show from February. I will be taking it on tour uh, f- 
uh, from between February and May, and the dates will go up on my website shortly. I mean, most of you are like, I just spare us the admin, love. <laughs> <laughs> we'll Google you if we're interested. And have you been managed to see anything? I'm, I'm imagining it's quite hard to see much more than. Have you been to kids' shows or have you been to adult shows as well? I saw Jar Jared Chris Christmas's um, beatbox show for children, which okay. was absolutely fantastic, which is here somewhere at the assembly. And I saw Jess Fosterkew's show, Hench, which I thought was fantastic, and that's also at the Monkey Barrel. Uh, what else have I seen? God, I saw a Marcus Bourbon do a show. His show is at the Banshee Labyrinth, and it is a show which is. Um, he does storytelling and really fantastic illustrations as well. So he's got a big screen at the back. So it's, it's kind of a st stand-up storytelling show, which I really enjoyed. And I can't remember what You're else. You're doing I've very seen. well. I'm doing so pretty well, aren't I? I've, seen, I've only seen kids' shows. George Egg's show was great. Oh, yeah, he's George Egg's going to be a guest on the future podcast. Oh, he was brilliant. His show was fantastic. And the da da da. That I can't remember. No. Yeah, I'm doing all right. Yeah, I'm Are you trying. Managing to, uh, is, uh, uh, are you managing to get out and uh, socialise in Edinburgh? Or no. <laughs> no. I'm, g I'm getting the early morning and the night shift is what I'm... So the, the I have to go I'm home to babysit. Yeah. You can't babysit your own children, can you? That's four o'clock onwards. I'm, I consider it babysitting in Edinburgh uh, while my wife is out getting... My wife gets drunk. You've done her podcast, haven't you? Drunk Women Solving Crime. Yeah, Drunk Women Solving Crime. My job is to go get drunk. Then roll in in the middle of the night. It is a brilliant podcast if you haven't listened to it. <laughs> Listen to Drunk Women Solving Crime. They get guests to come on, not always comedians. You get drunk and then they give you, well, obviously a crime, like a historical crime. You've got to work it out. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's ridiculous, but yeah. it's a lot of fun to do. Yeah, really must be a lot it. of fun. While well, I'm at home <laughs> looking after the kids. God, Rich, I'm Rich, I can't believe that you're there expected to be a parent. It's an absolute <laughs> bloody nightmare, mate. How dare she? Well, it's, it's, uh, do get the book uh, when it comes out in September. The other mother, Jen Brister, go and see a show and on tour. Ladies and gentlemen, the amazing Jen Brister. Thank you. Thank you all for coming in. We... We'll be back tomorrow. We've got Tony Slattery on tomorrow. I think that will be a very interesting one. Do come along if you can. Thanks very much. Do remember to give someone the scope if you can see the bucket, and I'll see you out there if you're interested. Bye-bye. Thank you. You have been listening to Rahalastapa at the Edinburgh Fringe with me, Richard Herring. Thank you to Pest for providing the music. Thank you to everyone at the Newtown Theatre and The Stand and everyone at GoFasterStripe.com. Producer is James Hingley. This is a Sky Potato Fuzz at GoFasterStripe.com production. Go to rehearsalstuff.co.uk to find out more. RichardHerring.com/gigs to find out who my guests are for the rest of the run.